Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to series two of Broke and Ambitious with me, Frances Keaton. Each episode, I speak to a professional creative about how they got into the arts and how they managed to survive. We talk day jobs, good ones, bad ones, and weird ones, plus how to stay creative on the side and any money-saving tips. As we enter series two, I have a favour to ask. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to give the show a boost. My guest today is Sam Veck. Sam is an actor, musician and writer, and has worked across the UK and Europe on and off the West End. Starting as a child actor, he mostly performed in musical theatre productions, such as Oliver and The Sound of Music, before transitioning into more classical work in his late teens, following his love for Shakespeare. Nowadays, he keeps himself busy and creative as a funeral celebrant, writing and conducting non-religious ceremonies for bereaved families. Here is my conversation with Sam Veck. Welcome, Sam Veck. Thank you, Francis Keaton. It's a pleasure to have you in the studio it's today. It's a pleasure to be here in the studio. <laughs> I say studio, people are imagining a glossy podcast studio. It's just yeah. the studio flat where I live, sleep, eat and work. <laughs> like a studio. So we know each other because we work at a popular cultural attraction in London and a theatre, a working theatre. That's true. As tour guides. And we started at the exact same time. We've known each other for over a year, year and a half, two years. Let's call it two years. Two years. And Sam is an absolute bundle of joy. Wow. You're also a very, very creative man. You've always got a project on the go. Sure. And when we first met, you were working on a wonderful performance based around Shakespeare's life, which we Uh will get on to. Okay. Um, But firstly... How did you get into the arts? A great question. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I got first got into the arts uh, at a very young age. Um, I kind of fell into it, I suppose. I, I was professionally acting at like eight, nine, something mm. like that. But I certainly began before. Did you go to sort of a weekend stage school thing? So what I did, my, my, my neighbour growing up, his mum... Or, who also lived there, <laughs> um, <laughs> ran a uh, weekend drama club, which I was going to because, you know, my, my friend was going, so, you know, you just join in. Mm. Um, and I enjoyed that, and there was, like, an ad in the paper, I think. You know, when the paper, you know the papers? Oh, the newspapers. The newspapers. You don't look old enough for the newspapers to... Oh, well, they're still oh, going, aren't they? Well, <laughs> and there was, like, an ad for, like, auditions for um, Oliver, so I auditioned, and I got in, and I did, like... I don't know, a lot of musical theatre stuff from the age of eight, nine, all the way through to mid-teens. Which is your age now, isn't it? It's just my age now. My voice just broke. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And with the Oliver Twist audition, so was that Mm. the first big one? I I can't remember. It was, um, it was like a TV, there was like a TV crew, that's what I remember at the time. And it was like very, like, yeah, televised. Because they did that, you know, I Do Anything show. Which you were in the ad for. Which I was in the ad for. How weird is that? Coincidence. Yeah, very strange. But I don't really remember any of it. It was all big, big world. Dance is a big part of your life. Did the dancing just come about 
through doing the stage school or was it a separate um, thing? It was kind of a separate thing. I did ballet at a very young age as well. Oh, really? Um, did you want sure. to do that? Yeah. Okay. So I did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like I enjoyed dancing and moving. I was just a big show off when I was when I was a kid, so I wanted to do everything. Um, don't know if you can tell now. No, I can't. Oh, really? I feel like you're the polar opposite now. Oh, please. Come on now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Whereas when you were a child, it was, come on now. Come on now. Watch me. Here we are. <laughs> so I did a lot of dance, a lot of singing, a lot of, you know, X, Y, Z. You know the classic X, Y, Z? Oh, yeah. What a bit of alphabet listing. <laughs> I'd go A, B, <laughs> and so on. Um, I, I haven't got past A, B yet. Um <laughs> You just know how it starts and ends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. X, Y, Z. It's all you need to know. A few letters in the middle. Yeah. Have I got the roll? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll see you at opening night. So that was great. I can't remember what the question was now. I, I've lost it as well. Okay, so you auditioned for Oliver Twist. You've sure. got a roll. Yep. Who did you play? I played Book Boy. Oh, Book at Boy. At the start. At the very, uh, at the very start. I had one line. Very coveted roll. Yeah. It was a big deal. Yes. Oh, I can I'd, I'd go in a room and everyone was like, how are you playing? Hey, who are you playing? Who's this guy? I was like, oh, classic book boy. Book boy. Everyone was like, shit. Uh, big boy's on town. Book boy's on town. <laughs> um, I had one line. Books from the bookseller, sir. And that was it. Books, like, books from the bookseller. Books from the bookseller, sir. Quite a tongue twister, on it. Yeah, well done for managing that. Yeah, it was a tough one. Um, and okay. then I'd run off. That was the whole point. Yeah. I thought I had a bigger role than I thought. Because that's, like, that's the key role of the whole thing. Is it? Think I don't about it. Rem- if, if I don't go in there saying like, hey, here's books from the bookseller, sir. Mm-hmm. He won't give Oliver the books to go to the bookseller. <laughs> Hence, hilarities and misfortunes will not um, befall him. I see your point. So I'm the lead role. a catalyst in yeah. the play. In, if anything, the, the entire plot hinges yeah. on your arrival on and your line. Yeah. It should be called Book Boy. <laughs> book. Oliver Twist and Book Boy. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Well, thank you for that. Sure. Walk down memory lane. So, you, And was this on the West End? That was the West End, yeah. And, and then, what was that like, being on the West End as a nine-year-old? It was kind of weird. I never really kind of um, understood it, I think. I thought it was just like another play. You know, I'd done quite a lot of plays beforehand. Yeah. Um, but it was like, the, I remember it being like the biggest number of people I'd ever seen I can imagine you know, I hadn't been to like a football match or anything before or you know big stadiums so like um, you know you'd walk on the stage with my bowl and you'd turn and then be like thousands of people then so kind of strange wow which theatre was it? it was Jury Lane um, Theatre Royal that is iconic pretty iconic and would you just interested were you travelling from Hertfordshire every day? Uh, yeah hmm. with um, a pint of milk why a pint of milk? I, I, I can't remember. I remember going to the shop and getting a pint of milk. Are you really into milk? On the train. I guess I was. I thought it also was good for my voice. What? That's yeah. not good for your voice. But Dairy, I, famously. I, yeah, famously. But I'd bad. hear all the actors talking about milk, so I was like, oh, it's got to be good. And you oh, were just like, must get a pint of milk. <laughs> if Rowan Atkinson must have milk, then. <laughs> yeah. Was he um, in it? Yeah, yeah, he was Rowan Atkinson Fagan playing Fagan. Yeah. Oh, my God. And he wasn't the nicest of fellas. Oh, um, my God, scoop. scoop. Are you sure you're happy to talk about this? Oh, no, I'm... Let's he was, get... he was a very nice man. 
Oh, come on. Give us the juice. It was lovely. It was just that he didn't have a lot of time for, for, for kids. That's all. Well, I can relate to So at to that, that age, I was like, Mr. Bean is a dick. But um, oh, yeah. as an adult, I'm now like, I, I get it. You get it, yeah. yeah. Oh, you were there like, do a funny face, Rowan. Yeah. Do you want some milk? <laughs> it was a great time. It sounds like it. And then we went to Cyprus with it as well, which was a great time. For only for a little while. It was so hot. We could only rehearse in, at night. But you'd be in the pool all day. It was oh, kind of wow. a dreamy job. This is incredible. Mm, yeah. Great time. So this, it all happened very early on in your life. I peaked very young, yes. <laughs> it yeah. must have, yeah, it must yeah. have been strange then reaching teenhood. For any child star... Yeah, it was a great time. Mm. I was in Sound of Music for a long time as well. You know, did lots of um, like railway tours. In Sound of Music, yeah. I played Friedrich. You had a name, a name this time. I had a name, yeah. Friedrich is also very crucial to the plot. Is he? Yes, he is. Is, is he, he the one? <laughs> <laughs> is he the one who's a little bit mouthy in the film? Uh, no, I've, no. Oh, he's the quiet one. He's the oldest boy. Oh. 16 going on 17? No, oh, that's legal. It's Ralph. Oh. <laughs> and Ralph. And Ralph the Nazi, yeah. Okay, well, thank God. Well, you swerved you swerved a bullet there, didn't you? Sure. Don't want to be like, I'm on the West End playing a Nazi. No. Um, that was great. And I, yeah, wasn't a Nazi. That's all I have to say about that production. Okay, great. Yeah. Good. Just stand by that. I stand by <laughs> Okay, and then sure. what happened? So you had all of this... Fame, dizzy heights Stop as a young talking. as a young boy. Sure, yeah. And were you homeschooled or did you go to school? You'd like you'd, you'd school on the road mm. on sometimes, um, and then I, you know, once my voice broke, um, like the work just dried up. That is so cruel. That's like an age old story, isn't it? It is an age old story. <laughs> Shakespearean actors, yeah, sure, playing the female roles and their voice breaks. They're gone. They're done. They're done. Mm. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, um, wow, what a weird metaphor this is going to be. Stand by, everyone. Um, you know, like the Wile E. Coyote cartoon, like when the cliff face would like fall and like he'd like be like suspended there for a, a few moments. And that's a metaphor for your voice? Yeah. <laughs> for your voice, break it. Because you don't realise that, oh, oh. everything's going to be fine, but then like all the work's just gone and you know. Not oh, gonna work see. then for five years. Okay. Sure. Oh god. Yeah, I can see it in your eyes. That must have what been what a terrible metaphor. It that must was. Have, no. It must have been quite harrowing because you probably got a lot of your identity from I'm the kid who tours around. One minute you're swimming in a pool in Cyprus, the next you're doing a national tour of the Sound of Music. Yeah, it was an interesting time. I was, but it was like a weird character thing. So yeah, you do um, adopt that as an identity. Were you a popular kid at school? I was not. No. Oh. I had very poor attendance at school. Yeah, but surely that made you a bit of a legend. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. It was a weird time because, you know, I was such a spoiled kid as well. Right. Because of it, you know, that you'd go back to school and, oh, I'm going to do homework. I can pirouette away. Do you know what I mean? So, um... Did you see me on stage last night, Mother? <laughs> I was phenomenal. Books from the bookseller, sir. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you get, eventually get used to it again. And then I, I work then more classically um, in my late teens. Yes, so five years, no work. Well, like little work, little some work. commercial stuff. But... Okay, and then you took, as you said, more of a classical mm-hmm. route. So what what was this? Yeah, so like, I don't know, 18, 19, I was um, doing lots of like short courses while auditioning. Brilliant. Doing lots of jobs. 
shit jobs. Um, yeah, so, and then I kind of fell into doing Shakespeare and stuff at that age. Um, I always liked Shakespeare, but then I kind of found a love for him and then spent a lot of time working around the life of Shakespeare, I suppose is the best way to say it. Okay. Um, yeah. And you were playing Shakespeare. I was playing Shakespeare. In a play. Yeah, sure. But that's when I first met you, you had very long hair and an earring and a yeah. baggy white shirt. <laughs> this is great content. The quill. Oh, yeah. I you have... were in character as Shakespeare <laughs> and we were working at a Shakespeare themed Shakespeare place, yeah. Theatre. That's true. So I was quite intimidated, actually. I was like, this man knows really? his stuff. Well, this is the thing. When I, my first impression of you was some Shakespearean scholar who loved him so much, he bloody looked like him, and uh-huh. a guy who was very clever, very intelligent, very modest, very humble, a man who was never spoilt as a child, oh, wow. okay. who'd probably never even been to Cyprus. Okay? Oh my God. And so for me to now discover this yeah. whole past, it just, it just blows my mind. Well, I am mind-blowing. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, was, I love... I'm not expecting you to... There was no retort needed. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Shakespeare. And if you want to get back onto that, um, I'm not a scholar at all. I just really appreciate his work. Mm. Um, and I've worked with Shakespeare. I was working with Shakespeare for about three years or so. You were working with Shakespeare? With the guy, yeah. What? No, well, like, with the text. Right. Um, yeah, and, like, doing... to clarify. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Honestly, was like, oh no, we're gonna have to end the podcast and get his medication. Sure. <laughs> we're like, and I worked with Shakespeare for many years. In between Stratford upon Avon in London, you know, I'd tag along on his little yeah. horse and cart with Jesus Christ by the side. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Okay, so now you are living in London. You've taken a slight directional change, as I said in the intro, that you're now a celebrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously you're you're branching out to different jobs. So mm-hmm. let's begin then mm-hmm. with your best day job. Oh, it's just so easy to say the one we do or used to do <laughs> um, together um, in our Shakespeare place. What a beautiful job! What a time that is. You know, the one we do now is fantastic, uh, and to talk about something you're passionate about every day is um, heartwarming, I think, and nourishing. Yes. Yes. As a day job. Um, and you get to work with fantastic creative people like your good self. Well, that's very kind. Oh, of course. Fabulous. So working as a tour guide at a theatre, talking about Shakespeare every day. Mm. Absolutely. I think we can agree it's a brilliant job. And it's also very flexible. You can do lots of other stuff as well. I'm also a musician, which is fun. And uh, you do some terrible gigs, but also some fun ones. Yes, you don't just casually slip in. I'm also a musician. You play about six million instruments, don't you? Go on, list them. Six million? Um, I don't know. I play quite a few, but um, they're, you know, it's just fun. Clarinet. It's honestly like getting blood from a stone trying to get Sam Beck to talk about himself. Clarinet. Yeah, sure. Drums. Mm-hmm. Piano. Take it away. Take it off no, me. No, you keep on going. Violin. A little bit, yeah. Viola. No, never even touched a viola. Okay, saxophone. Saxophone, oh hell yes. Fantastic. So you so you work in a professional band and do gigs? I used to play in quite a few bands. I like birthday parties and stuff I've played. More so in London. Really? Nowadays, yeah, sure. Any fancy ones? Any fancy pants ones? Any fancy pants parties? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever I played really on a boat? Think. Have I ever played on a boat? No. Okay. <laughs> Go on, that's another form of transport. <laughs> Have you ever played on a plane? No! <laughs> it's like a Dr. Seuss book. 
<laughs> yeah. I've got, I a woman recently came up to me and said, oh, your name's Sam, like Dr. Seuss. I went, are you a child? Why would I she go know. to that? Yeah, what a weird, obscure Please. thing. Yeah, Like Dr. Seuss, and this was a grown woman? A grown woman, yeah. Was she with a child? I don't think she was. Very concerned. Just a fan of Dr. Seuss. Maybe she is part of the Dr. Seuss dynasty. Maybe. And that was her way of telling you. Wasn't wasn't fucking Dr. Seuss a fucking misogynistic adulterer anyway? I do not know enough about him, but sounds legit. Yeah. Most people in the past were, and I get more and more disappointed the older I get. Okay, well, thank you for sharing. Great, welcome. I hope everyone's really enjoying this podcast of someone who hates sharing. (laughs) Moving on to your worst day job. Uh Uh-huh. I worked for a popular toy shop, but it was was just the worst thing ever. Because it was like, what was I, 18, maybe 17? Mm. And I was doing lots of like, um, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, like short courses and auditions and stuff from like nine to three, say. And then we'd work in this shop from maybe like four to like 11 and then would trek back to Hartford. 4 p.m. till 11 p.m.? Yeah. Why is a toy shop open so late? Who's going to be going? Who knows? Yeah. And yeah, that's a great question. Drunk people, people who aren't interested in toys. People just demolishing the beautiful toy models? Sure, yeah, we had that. Oh dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, yeah, it was a tough... uh, Tough job. It's just the management was terrible because this new shop was just like opening. And okay. obviously I was there for the opening. And that was like my first day. Oh my goodness. Was the opening of that store. And was this your first job in retail? Yeah, absolutely. God, how did you uh, blag that in I the interview? no idea. I think they just were desperate for fucking, you know, hands on deck. Amiable on. young men. That is what I said in the interview, yeah. <laughs> But it was all because you'd, you'd go from like the stockroom, mm. be carrying products. Yes. And people would like take it from your hands while you were going to the shelves. If that makes Customers. sense. Customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. So like, and then manager would go like stock up the shelves. But you'd go like, yeah, but every time I fucking walk past someone, they take everything from my hands. What? Um, you got literally flying off the shelves like hotcakes. Just you're, like hotcakes, yeah. You're making me think of a sort of American film like um, Miracle on 34th Street, mm-hmm. where it's that classic Christmas scene and it's the mayhem before Christmas and everyone's just coming in and literally, yeah, taking things out of the shop assistant's hands. Yeah. You know, I've never seen Miracle on 34th Street. Well, it's a beautiful Christmas film. I, I urge you to see it. Okay. I almost said Nightmare on Elm Street, though, and that's a different film. Which one's that one? Night Nightmare. On Elm Street. <laughs> I think that's the one where if you fall asleep, you see this guy uh, and he's got really long arms and fingers. Has he got a lot of blades on his... Johnny Depp is in it. Yeah. No, that's scissor hands. No, 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 no. Johnny Depp is in this as well. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. playing like one of the American teens who can't oh. Freddy Krueger. Oh, uh, okay. Is the, is the horror. I've heard of his work. Anyway, we weren't talking about that. We were talking about you working in a toy shop. What a fucking with your long obscure. arms. With my long arms. <laughs> and my blades. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it was awful. Honestly, terrible. Was the pay good? No. Mm. I can't remember what I got. Maybe seven pound an hour. That's shocking, by the way. When mm. was this? 20... Um, 2016? 2017? Maybe it wasn't seven. Maybe eight pounds. My God. Um, also, still digesting the fact that you were 18 in 2017. This is another thing that we have to factor in whenever we're talking about these day jobs is that you live in Hertfordshire. So whereas we are all being like, oh, 
this is a terrible job, I'm being paid £8 an hour, oh, rubbish. We then just hop on a tube to get to our central London mm. location. You're then getting on a train, and what is it, an hour's journey to Hertfordshire? Thereabouts, yeah. It was terrible, it was such a bad time, but I had to be in London for like for the day. Yeah. Because of auditions and stuff. Right. Which luckily also. were like, you know, in recurring and, and, and common. And they were in that central area, absolutely. So it made sense to have a job also in London because you mm. get more money, get that extra one pound. Um, yeah, terrible. I remember being really sick one time on the shop floor, not vomiting, mm. but just like really unwell. But I was just so sick. I was like saying to my manager, who also changed every three days, didn't know what was going on with that. People like couldn't handle the pressure. I guess so. So a new, it would be a new manager every like five days or something. And then um, uh, I'd say like, oh, I'm really ill. I need to go home. And he uh, gave me a probation <gasps> for that. Can you believe that? I cannot. That's outrageous. Outrageous. And going back to Miracle on 34th Street. Which w- you haven't seen, but which I haven't seen, very but... brave to make a reference. <laughs> go on. Here we go. I think I'm correct in saying like it's a Christmas film. Mm. Um, I worked around December as well. And they put me on to work on Christmas Eve at 11 o'clock finish. No. And I went to him like, if I do that shift, I won't get home. Um, because of the Because it's Christmas Eve. Yeah. And he went, well, tough. And I went, well, fuck you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. Did you say that? Yeah, absolutely. I quit there and there. Good for you. Yeah. I love these, oh, I love these stories of people just walking out on a terrible job. Yeah. Pulling off the tie. Yeah. Pulling off the tie, throwing... Caution to the wind. (laughs) Throwing, just demolishing toys as you walk out. Demolishing toys as I go, smacking children in the face. Yes, yes. Got to be done. And then having a merry old time. Kicking Santa Claus in the nuts. Yeah, (laughs) in his chestnuts. Oh, very nice. Very Christmassy. Very good. This is a Christmas podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on then, Sam, to your weirdest Mm, day job. My weirdest day job. I suppose the one I'm doing now as well. Um, celebrant work is very weird. Yes. So this is being a celebrant yeah. for lots of different occasions. Mostly funerals. But you could do weddings. Sure. Yeah. No, because it's with the Humanist Society. It, it, with the Humanist UK. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to them. Um, so yeah, it's not religious stuff. Um, I pretty much just do, just do funerals. It's very weird. You're like invited into this person's life for like two weeks and then you're gone but you know everything mm. about their entire life mm. you're you know you'll never meet the deceased obviously but you know every single thing that they ever did in their life but with the actual family themselves like they you know they're at their absolute worst um and you come in for two weeks and then you're gone and then you just worry about them for the rest of um, the month yeah so it's and very I- hard to disconnect i suppose yeah it's the weird thing yeah it's very weird yeah and the build-up is really intense. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I was going to say, there's no other real comparison in terms of jobs where you've got that much responsibility to do a good job, to pay respect to their life. Mm. But then obviously, yeah, I guess priests and vicars do it as part of their yeah, job. Yeah, as their job. Um, but at least they kind of have the framework of, you know, well, I'll just throw in a prayer now. <laughs> they yeah. know that people are there and they know that people are like, they believe in God and heaven looking after them. Exactly. Whereas I guess with yours you're literally just celebrating the life and trying to make, trying to put a good spin on it. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, I think that's pretty much what the job is. Um, but like, because there is no set text, mm. which you'll get with 
more so with uh, religious ceremonies, um, it's totally on your part to, you know, not break the bank, but like really go out of your way to find like the perfect poem and mm. X, Y, Z, going back to the alphabet thing. Um, <laughs> but it's a lot of responsibility in that respect because it's so free, tell me, it's so free form, which is tough, I suppose. So what made you get into this job in the first place? Well, it really started during lockdown, kind of in answer to like, okay, so acting work is pretty much nullified, if that's the correct word. And anything I was being put up for was so crap that um, you have to go then, okay, I've got already got a set of skills. Can I apply it to something that actually matters maybe in the current time? Not to say that acting doesn't matter. I think it does. Um, but, you know, can I do something to help in some way using the skills you already got again? So um, the training was, you know, like four months, I think. Um, and then I started. I haven't really looked back since. It's been fantastic. You say the yeah. skills you've already got, mm-hmm. but I don't think a lot of actors could say that they are able to have the empathy, the patience, and also write all of their material. I totally know? disagree. I think actors are some of the more most empathetic people uh, in any sector I think naturally your job is to tell a story mm. and look into people's eyes most people aren't comfortable with that yeah um, and naturally delivering a speech is you know actors wheelhouse but um, actors are great at talking about dying I think in a very effective way um, and necessarily you know whenever I have a briefing of my own I'll always go to an actor because um, I think they're the best people to talk to about it oh Okay. I think. Any actors out there, maybe there is a hidden talent within you for being a celebrant. Sure, go do or, it. Or, if you're suffering, go talk to your actor friends. Yeah, great. <laughs> Good advice, well done. Have sure. you have you ever thrown in a Shakespeare quote about death in one of your speeches? Oh Be yeah, honest. I'm just kidding, absolutely. <laughs> All the time. No, fear no more, you know, the heat of the sun, you know, from Cymbeline. It's like one of the more oh. popular poems of all time in, in funerals. And also there's so much weird stuff that you have to do. Like, you know, you've got to, bat- like, you have, like, eye contact for three seconds and then you've got to, like, like look down at the lectern. It's, like, really specific. Really? A choreography? Yeah, yeah it's like a real ceremony. Yeah. Because there's a comfort in routine and structure and choreography when it comes to something so emotionally electric as a funeral. Yeah. I think that's why people take comfort in religion because of all the pomp and ceremony and choreography. So I guess, Maybe. yeah, you need to bring that in as well, even with a humanist one. I suppose so. I think routine is um, one of the best things that you can do if you are feeling down, especially like during lockdown and stuff. That, that lack of routine is probably why so many people got so lost, maybe. So if yeah. you can find routine in the, you know, in the mundane and the small, then do it, I think. But you've also said that there are some quite funny things that can happen. Yeah. In that often families will be brought together and family members that didn't realise existed and there'll be a punch-up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this didn't happen to me, but I've heard that, um, I think on multiple occasions, but there's one which stands out that um, the hearse was stuck in traffic or something of that ilk um, and was late to his own funeral. So they just did it anyway without the fucking coffin. And then it turned up halfway through. That's hilarious. Which is kind of hilarious, right? Because it's just the classic phrase, isn't it? Oh, Barry, he'd be late to his own <laughs> funeral. His own funeral. <laughs> 50 years later. <laughs> what a legacy. Oh. Rest in peace, Barry. Yes, rest in peace. 
thank you so much for sharing sure. your best, worst and weirdest day jobs uh-huh. while working as an actor. Could you now share with us how you manage to stay creative on the side? So when the acting work is dried up or when you feel like all you're doing is your day job, how do you stay mm. creative on the side? It's a good question. Um, I write a lot. I enjoy that. Poems and novels and like plays and stuff. And that's fun to write, hopefully to read. And I play a lot of music, which is just great fun. And if you can do it with people, even better. Other ways to say creative? I don't know. Do shit. Just like leave the house, I think is the best way to do it, which you can't really do now. But I was, I'm a big fan of short courses because I think the, they're great for meeting people, first of all, but they'll often give you like a little spark, you know, maybe just, oh, I hadn't thought about doing that. I'll maybe try that out. Um, I, you know, I've done quite a lot of short courses with Rada, for example, and you'd, you'd, you'd find stuff, you know, but you find stuff that you, you wouldn't have thought about prior. Yes. And it's great to then follow that. Um, little spark and see what happens. I suppose. Absolutely. So, so you can recommend some of the Rada short courses. Any other ones? They're great. Um, National Theatre used to do, or maybe still do, great writing courses um, and great mentorships. If you get under a writer's wing, it's the best wow. way to learn. Other short courses. Improv's great. I'm trying to look for a new improv class at the moment. Yeah, we're going to do it together. Absolutely. Look at this fucking great retort that's happening between us now. Um, Do you mean rapport? I don't know what I'm trying to say anymore. (laughs) I've just put a microphone in front of my face and said rapport about a thousand times. When you say that you write a lot and you do music, I really believe you because I feel like a lot of the time I speak to fellow creators and they're like, yeah, I write. Yeah, I do music. And maybe this is just speaking as me. I say I do that stuff. 99% 99% of the time I'm not. 99% of the time I'm downloading dating apps and then deleting them immediately. Great. Whereas with you, I honestly believe you do because every time I try and make a pop culture reference, you're like, sorry, what? What? And I think what you're actually doing is you're sitting there at home writing with a quill and ink mm-hmm. or In my picking <laughs> up one of your many instruments and just losing a couple of hours on the sax, staring out at the meadow. Like, I really believe that you do do music and write good for you <laughs> and what kind of writing so you said poems i love poetry yeah do you just do this kind of stuff when the mood takes you or do you have a set structure like i'm going to do some music today i'm going to do a poem i'm going to work on this chapter of my novel uh yeah i i love structure and form especially i don't like freeform stuff at all you know i'll plan what i'm going to write for that day and then write it but mostly out of pleasure i'm not looking to fucking publish anything Okay, and with the music, do you ever do you, do you play pieces that are written down, or do you improvise? Mostly improvise, yeah. Especially okay, if you're so you like, like free form with, within music, then. Yeah, what an interesting juxtaposition um, journey we found. Mm. Absolutely. Also, dance. Do you ever practice mm. dancing still? No, God no. Oh. I've got a bad knee. He's got a dicky knee. I've got a dicky knee. Mm. I wasn't a great mover in the first place, really. Uh, I beg to differ. Okay, no, I'll be well. leaving your Instagram handle in the bio of this episode. Please don't. <laughs> and I often go back to it. Do you? Yeah. Okay. When I want to feel inspired. Uh-huh. There's some excellent freestyle dance going on there. Very Pina Bausch. Sure. Mm. That's kind. That's all I've got. You know, she said something great, which was, um, I'm going to totally bullshit this story. So, like, she... Uh, did this whole moving movement piece with this Russian choreographer I can't remember the name of mm. but she had her eyes closed mm. as part of the choreography um, and it was beautiful and, and really moving and then she'd go back to it like 15 years later or something wanting to then recreate that dance and couldn't 
find it again. Because she had her eyes closed. Well, because she had her eyes closed, but like when she had her eyes closed the first time, she would like look like her eyes would move under the lids, if that makes sense, in certain ways. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm seeing it now. I'm that's practicing. Great. I'm doing it now. Really yeah. good. Your eyes are closed, but that's great. <laughs> um, and you said that totally changed the piece, uh, which is really interesting to see. So at home, try this. Listen to the podcast again with your eyes closed, looking in different ways. Thank you for sharing. Mm, so welcome. And do you have any money-saving tips for any fellow creatives out there? Sure. I mean, out of the obvious, like, you know, put your money in a bank, invest where you can. Um, do you invest? I don't invest, actually. Well, then um, don't just I... be throwing out advice that you can't back okay, up, Sam. Well, That's not what we're here for. Okay, ask me the question again. Um, <laughs> fucking hell. Sure, um, put your money in a bank, but, <laughs> but also maybe um, have a no-spend day. Oh, that's what I try Ooh, to do sometimes. That's yeah. a really good idea. Yeah. Tell us more. Like, I don't spend any money on Sundays. Try not to. That's um, beautiful. If you just make that routine, then that's quite hard to, easy to follow. As, you know, if you're staying at home. Yeah. Um, but also, like, you know, say if, like, a cafe is closing down at, like, five, go there at, like, quarter two, and they'll give you loads of free shit. Is that actually true? Yeah. Which cafes are you talking about? Something Gales. Gales? Yeah. No Gales, way. Absolutely. Turn <gasps> up 15 no minutes before, they'll give you loads of free shit. I had no idea. Well, that's a fantastic scoop, Sam. I feel like you're really coming into your own here now. Sure. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, don't go, because I'm there. You'll be there, yeah. shoveling it into your cheeks that's like a hamster. Exactly like that, mm. yeah, exactly. You always have a thermos of coffee. A thermos? Which you really... What, how do you say it? Thermos. Thermos. Thomas. Agree to disagree. Okay. Which you will sort of eke out throughout the entire day. Yeah. To the point where I'm like, that must be just cold coffee. But no, mm. you persevere. Invest in good shit. That's what I say. I'll go back to my investment talk. Mm. Um, like, if you get a good thermos, then you don't need to buy coffee. If you buy a nice raincoat, then you don't need to buy loads of coats in your life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. One watch will see you through for the lifetime, as opposed to, you know, many cheap ones. As a wise woman once said, buy cheap buy twice. Who said that? <laughs> it was Peter Bausch. Oh, was it? Did she have her eyes closed? Um, How long have you had that thermos? That thermos? Two years. Okay, well, I think it's a little bit early in the journey then to comment on that. That's quite old for a thermos. Call me back in ten years' time. Any more money-saving tips or would you feel happy with that? Negotiations are great. If you literally can't afford that thing, don't just walk out of the store. Most of the time, they'll probably deduct the price. Are you serious? Yeah, when, Has this worked for you? Yeah. If you're going into a nice shop and you're actually looking to buy something very specific, like, um, you know, like a nice clothing shop, they'd love to sell you something. Wow. So if you go in there, you know, and it genuinely is too expensive for you, just talk to them. So it would probably have to be like a private boutique as opposed to a chain because they literally don't have the power if it's a chain, do they? Yeah, probably more so. Yeah. You're thinking of the hat shop in Putney, aren't you? Oh man, that fucking hat shop. It yeah. slipped away in the breeze. You never got it, did really you? I did. I ran out of time. Was um, it a fedora? It was. I was see. it a fedora? Maybe it was a trilby. I can see the pain in your eyes. Regret. Yeah. I do have regret. I want to go back there. Yeah, you can. So <sighs> so essentially, sort of, you know, haggling to suit your means. I like that. Yeah. And there yeah. was some really good negotiation 
courses online which you can do. Chris Voss is like the king of negotiation. I what? So you've done a negotiation course? Yeah, absolutely. Could you please share just a little tidbit? Okay. Um, you can do mirroring. That's great. Yeah. We that mirror their body language. Mirror their body language. Also, like maybe on on the other side, if you are like if you have your own boutique shop and someone does say like my your prices are too high, just say the question back to them and just say oh my prices are too high. Like kind of like Meisner esque stuff. Yeah. Um, that eventually they'll get bored or they'll eventually talk themselves into thinking, oh, actually, do I even want this thing? Yeah. Okay. So then, so say the shopkeeper has said, "There's really nothing I can do." You'd say, "There's really nothing you can do," and it makes them think when they hear it back. Well, actually, I could do something. Yeah, kind of that kind of thing. It almost like you know, it kind of puts the emphasis on them to actually create a path. Either way. Should we should we role play it? Sure. Okay, cool. So um, this is my shop, and you really want to buy this table. Mm. Nice table. Thank you very much. Um, how much are you looking to sell this table for? Oh, well, this is actually um, this is actually a very famous table. So uh, you're oh. looking at six hundred and eighty for this famous table. Um, it was made. It was a one-off design by the architect Cleo Lane. Cleo Lane? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How is this going for you? It's going well so far. Okay, carry on. £600? £680, actually, yeah. £680? Yes. That's too high. Well, I'm afraid that's the cost it is. It's a one-off design, and actually I'm using it at the moment to record a podcast, so you're going to have to convince me very okay. well, sir, if you want to buy it. This got too meta. <laughs> I don't even want this table anymore. But you can do that sort of stuff as well. You can, like, assert stuff. Oh, so sorry. So is that over now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you can also put your foot down and stuff and say, that is too high. And then they'll shove off most of the time. Fair enough. All right. Mm. Do you know what? I'm going to give it to you for free. Right. Take it. Take it, please. None of this stuff is mine. The final question is, Sam, what would be your dream job or dream position to be in? King. Really? You wouldn't want to be King. What kind of king would I be? A very fair, modest and humble king. Okay. Like creatively, I'd love to work for like a, you know, mischief theatre company. <gasps> yes, the play that goes wrong. Absolutely. That's mm. so cool. Mm. Um, I love clowning as just a general way of acting. What a fun time. You're very good at physical comedy. I'm so good. That's what <laughs> we've often said, fellow friends of Sam, is uh, accents. Absolutely piss poor shit. Uh-huh. But I was a bit strong, sorry. Accents, you're not the greatest at them. Um, One could say I'm piss poor shit. <laughs> maybe. But physical comedy, uh-huh. outstanding. Did you do any courses in clowning? No, never. God, it's just built in. Sure. Stunning. Okay. Um, but like, you know, non-creatively, you know, I'd love to like um, travel the world. Maybe like travel journalism is so much fun. Okay. Um, you know, wouldn't that be just the best time? Also, I'd like to have, like, a tangible, like, physical legacy. So I'd like to, like, you know, build houses, maybe, or something like that later in life, or, like, you know, invest in, like, care homes or um, something like that. Wow. So, action, mischief, theatre, play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Travel journalism, or... Uh Uh-huh. Create a legacy, whether it's investing in care homes or building your own houses. Well, Sure. Yeah. I'm literally saying I it back think... to you. I'm mirroring what you said using your That's Chris really... Voss technique. Yeah, Chris Voss wouldn't be proud. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, well, as soon as you start making a plan for like a, a lifehood, 
And especially career-wise, I think then you're just going to be disappointed, in my opinion. And we were talking about that earlier, weren't we? I think, you know, if you generally aren't fulfilled by the practice of, you know, wanting to achieve something, then what's the point in actually making a plan? That is a beautiful point. And I think, you know, our fellow colleague Richard Bunn said mm. the same thing on the podcast. He? he? Well, yeah, he said, I don't want to... I think he said, I reject the question. Of course he did. Quite aggressively. Whenever you ask Francis something, <laughs> she rejects the question as well. Yeah. Yeah, he just said that if you if you make a plan, mm. it kind of cancels out or something. I, I, I can't remember. You'll have to listen back to the podcast. But, um, Are you you're, plugging your we, own podcast? We, yeah. We were talking earlier, yeah, and you said a beautiful thing, which is that if you don't enjoy the journey... Then what's the point in doing it? You're yeah. not going to get... You're not going to get half the fulfilment of the goal... Yeah. And, you know, let's say, like, you know, oh, I want to be at the National. If I just gave you that job now, they said, oh, here you go, then. You'd hate it. Because <laughs> you haven't actually, you know, yeah. worked up towards it. Yeah. Um, and you were given it for free. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I think you have to work for stuff to, for, to actually enjoy the reward. Right. Otherwise, what's the point? And just to bring this back to, I suppose, where we began, mm. when you got these jobs as a child, yeah. did you feel like you'd worked hard for them then? God, no. Right. Yeah. Probably so they, why I didn't enjoy it as much as maybe as I should have. Because um, you're just, you know, singing and dancing with, you know, very little actual skill, but you just look like the part. So they give you the job. But that's all handouts. See. So to then actually having to work to get like a terrible job when you're older and work really, really hard to get, you know, you know, tree number four is um, a, a total inversion of that, which is hard to deal with, I think. I think you're bringing such a unique and wonderful perspective to this podcast in that you've had a lot of what we deem as success in performance industry Mm. at a young age and you're reflecting back on it and now saying you have to work really hard for something but you appreciate it more. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. I said pod. Is that the first time you said pod? It didn't sound good. It didn't sound good. It won't stay in in the vocab. How was this for you today? Hysterical. Really? Yeah. Oh, great. (laughs) 